Hello and welcome to the Last Push podcast. Um, on today's episode, we are going to take a look again and go back through a section for biology paper two. It's a huge section with lots of really, really important stuff. We're looking at inheritance. We're looking at variation. We're looking at evolution. So those are your main arching, overarching topics. Um, but there's really a lot of key terms and a lot of unfamiliar kind of mini subtopics within this section itself. So last week we really started um, getting into it a little bit more and I did two podcasts, part one and a part two, mostly because I think that this topic in terms of visualizing it is a lot harder to do. So hopefully you guys did get a chance to listen to it a couple times. Make sure that you have your revision guide out um, as you go through it. Also, it's really important to make sure if you don't have a revision guide, you at least have got a section on BBC Bite Size up and open so that you've got some visual because it's really, really hard. Um, and I've talked to some students over the past week and they're, they're telling me that it is quite challenging just sometimes to listen to this and understand this um, and the concepts, which I totally get and I totally agree with. Um, because if you don't have a picture in front of you and you're just trying to listen and you don't, you can't even really process a picture in your mind to think about what you should be thinking about or envisioning, then yeah, it is going to be, it is going to be hard. It is going to be challenging. So what you really need to make sure that you do is you need to make sure that you actually have got a picture that you make sure you've got a diagram for whatever topic we are looking at. And obviously I think the best two places to look are BBC Bite Size or your revision guides. But honestly, if you just Google GCSE and put in whatever the topic is, that also is going to be um, a great picture that you can use as well. So we're going to get started. We are looking at inheritance, variation, and evolution. So I'll let you know if you need to pause or if I think you should go get some diagrams um, at any point in time. So just get your pen, your pencil, your paper, and let's get ready to go. Okay, so hopefully you got everything ready and you are ready um, to tuck into this inheritance and variation and evolution. So let's just do a quick little recap on things that we have already covered. Because if you are one of those students who like to look at the specification or like to look at your table of contents and your revision guide, just to kind of get a picture of everything that we actually have covered in part one and part two. In part one, we started with looking at reproduction and we looked at sexual and asexual reproduction and we focused primarily on the differences. So with sexual reproduction, there's going to be a fusing of those sex cells or gametes, 
Um, so for example, you could have a sperm cell and an egg cell that are fusing together. And that's sexual reproduction. Whereas asexual reproduction is going to only involve one parent. So there's no fusion of the gametes. There's no mixing of genetic information. And the offspring or the baby would be considered a clone. Um, a clone, it looks exactly the same. It's got all the same genetics and all of that. So after we looked at sexual and asexual reproduction, we then took a look at meiosis. And you needed to try to remember that in your biology paper one, there is something called mitosis. And mitosis and meiosis are two really common topics that come up quite a lot. So you want to make sure that you do know a little bit about both and so that you can compare both. So we went through that and we talked about how meiosis is going to be the formation of the sex cells and the formation of the gametes. So it's how a sperm cell or how an egg cell is actually made. Um, and then what I asked you guys to do was do a comparison table between mitosis and meiosis. So if you have that, um, that would be a really good idea to potentially pause and look back over. If you don't have it, um, there's a great explanation uh, with pictures on BBC Bite Size. So the difference between meiosis and mitosis, basically... The summary of it is mitosis is going to form body cells, whereas meiosis is going to form sex cells. The babies or the offspring, the cells made from mitosis are genetically identical. They're all clones, whereas the cells formed from meiosis are all genetically different. So there is genetic variation between them. And then you want to try to know how many offspring cells are formed. So with mitosis, it's just two cells. But with meiosis, it's actually four cells. And the last thing you might want to try to remember is that mitosis has got one division, one splitting of the cell to form two new cells. Whereas meiosis has got two divisions so it splits once forms two cells splits again forms four genetically unidentical daughter cells then we took to took a look at dna and the genome so we talked about um, we tried to remember how that the dna the genetic information is found within a nucleus of every single one of your cells and the shape of dna is a double helix there's loads of diagrams if you're not sure what I mean by double helix, so pause it. Actually, look up DNA shape double helix. You should be able to find something. And then we looked at kind of inside the nucleus, we need to try to always remember that we have got pairs of chromosomes. Specifically, um, we have got 23 pairs of chromosomes, so 46 chromosomes total in our body cells. And on chromosomes, there are sections of them which are going to code for characteristics like hair color or eye color. And 
these sections of the DNA on the chromosomes are called genes, and each gene codes for a particular sequence of amino acids, and those amino acids make a protein which codes for the characteristic, like eye color or hair color, which I just mentioned. And then, that was really the first section that we looked at when we looked at this whole topic. Then on the second podcast, we kind of went into a lot more detail about some key terms. And I'm not going to go back through them in this podcast, but you might want to take another re-listen or you might want to pause it and get those definitions from BBC Bite Size. So the keywords were gamete, chromosome, gene, allele, dominant, recessive, homozygous, heterozygous, genotype, and phenotype. And then the last thing that we took a look at um, in this section was we actually talked about two really specific types of inherited disorders. So we specifically looked at polydactyly and cystic fibrosis as our inherited disorders. And polydactyly is an inherited disorder which is caused by a dominant allele and it causes a person... I'm going to talk about people mostly because it's just a little bit easier. It causes a person to have extra fingers or toes. And then our second inherited disease was cystic fibrosis. And cystic fibrosis affects um, humans. We're going to talk about it in terms of it affecting humans. And it's caused by a recessive allele, which causes a buildup of mucus in the respiratory tract, so with your lungs, and also your digestive tract um, and your digestive system as well. So it's also really important to try to be able to draw out your genetic crosses for polydactyly and your genetic crosses for cystic fibrosis. The last thing that we ended on was kind of really talking about sex determination Um, and basically when you're looking at the pairs of chromosomes, knowing that there's 23 pairs of chromosomes, but also knowing that 22 pairs control characteristics only, but the last pair is actually a pair which controls and determines the sex of that individual. And you need to try to remember that females code for XX and males code for XY. And you need to be able to show a genetic cross of this. So it should, there should be one in your revision guides. If there's not one in your revision guide, there's one found on BBC Bite Size. So check it out. Now, the third part of this whole evolution section, we really need to start looking at what is variation, okay? So you need to be able to know kind of what is variation, what does that mean? Um, Also, what is evolution and what scientists really developed theories around the theory of evolution and natural selection. 
and be able to apply those ideas to different examples. We can also take a look at selective breeding and genetic engineering, as well as talking about fossils and extinction. So that's going to be the last thing we kind of take a look at. So um, there are four kind of main sections we're going to take a look at now, and we're going to start with variation. So variation, the simple way that I think about it is variation are differences. The differences in the characteristics. So if you think about it, you do not look the exact same as your friends. You don't look the exact same as your brother or your sister if you have siblings. You have got variation and every single person is all unique because there's one specific sperm cell and one specific egg cell which fuse together and they're like no other ones out there and they're what actually produces um, an offspring and a baby. So the variation is caused by a number of different factors. It's caused by genes, so it's caused by the genetics. It can also be caused by environmental conditions. So for example, if you've got identical twins, but one of those identical twins ended up burning his finger on a stove when he was little, he's gonna have a scar on one of his fingers. So he's slightly different than the other identical twin. Um, you could take the same rule applies for tattoos, piercings, hair dye, anything that we can use to kind of make ourselves look a little bit different to if we had an identical twin. And variation usually is it's a combination of genes, the genetic information, and the environment. So it's usually a combination effect of why um, humans or animals or plants, why they all look slightly different from one another. Um, and then when we're talking about variation, the next thing that's really important to try to link with variation is the word mutation. So I want you to think about if you've got a population of animals and they're all fairly similar, they're all fairly the same height, um, they're all fairly the same size, say they've got spots, they've all got the same number of spots, say they've got a tail, they've all got the same size tail. So they're all pretty similar and there's not much variation between them. If a mutation happens, it can lead to a new phenotype, a new characteristic. So if we go back to that example with your population again, imagine a population and all of the animals within that population have got six spots. Let's just say they have six spots. Let's say a mutation happens which causes them to have no spots. So all of your individuals have got six spots except for this one individual that has got no spots. If it's better for that individual to have no spots and they're actually better adapted to the environment, they're going to end up being more successful. So genetic mutations and mutations which change how an organism looks can actually be really, really beneficial 
if the environment changes. And if the environment changes so much that it favors the new mutation better, this is how we actually have a shift in evolution. And there's a lot of studies that have been done on this. Um, if you look up Lamarck and Darwin and the idea between both of their studies based off of giraffe neck size, you should be able to get a good example of that. So giraffes have got extremely long necks, as you know. But if you actually look at historic data and if you actually take a look at older like older fossil records of these giraffes giraffes necks were not always as long and most people um, now firmly believe that it's because of darwin's theory of natural um, selection and evolution is that when the food sources changes and there was more food sources which were higher up there were more taller trees the leaves were higher to get if you had a population of giraffes where half of them had shorter necks and half of them had longer necks then what would really happen is the giraffes with longer necks are going to be more successful and they're going to be able to actually get the leaves that are higher up um so i've kind of kind of branched off into a few stories which already kind of explain evolution and darwin natural selection um so we're just going to kind of sum that up now evolution really is that there's going to be a change in the characteristics of a population over time. So as time progresses, the species, they could be plants, they could be animals, whatever the species is, it's going to change over time. Um, and a lot of times it has to do with the environment. So the trees, the grass, the leaves, um, the food that's in that environment. So if there's a lack of food or there is a new food source that comes in that could be extremely helpful um, for a population who's already there. But basically, what evolution is, is that there's going to be a change in characteristics of a population over time. So with that giraffe example, if you look at the fossil records and the bone records of giraffes over time, then their actual bones in their necks, they have gotten longer over time and it's because the food that the giraffes were eating and competing with other animals against giraffes with longer necks were more successful so those are the giraffes that survived they were able to eat they were able to get the food animals that are able to survive are the animals that are breeding and passing their genes on to the next generation so unfortunately the giraffes with shorter necks they wouldn't have survived because they wouldn't be competing with more animals for food at lower levels and they might not have gotten enough food so they might not have survived they might not have had enough body mass to be able to actually mate and reproduce and pass their genes on to the next generation so it really is when we're looking at evolution it is a question by question a situation by situation example and you need to take a look at what the mutation causes 
so what's the different characteristics? What does the mutation cause? Does it help that individual camouflage better? Does it help that individual be able to hunt better? Um, so for example, you could potentially have a lizard population and there's a mutation in some of the lizards which makes them have slightly longer legs and which makes them faster. So obviously those lizards are going to be able to escape the predators or they're going to be able to catch their prey because they're actually able to move faster as well. So there's so many different situations with evolution and what I suggest you do is you take a look at all the examples that are on BBC Bite Size um, and you just start thinking about, well, if it's a giraffe type question, what could they be asking me? There are lots of lizard questions there. I've seen fish questions, bird questions, but it's always the same type of response and it's always the same type of model answer. A mutation, a genetic mutation, will cause variation. Being able to say those that line really actually shows that you know about how genetics change, because a mutation is a genetic mutation, and how that will actually cause variation, which is differences. And then if you go on and explain what the variation is, so, for example, with our lizards, a genetic mutation causes variation in the lizard population. The mutation causes these lizards to have longer legs. Then you want to always try to link it to how does that make that individual, that organism, better adapted for the environment? So with our lizard example, for example, we're talking about mutations and leg length. So a genetic mutation will cause variation. That variation with our lizard population causes some of the lizards to have longer legs. Lizards with longer legs are able to run faster. If they're able to run faster, then they can get away from their predators. That in your paragraph, that alone is going to get you three to four marks. Then the next thing you want to try to make sure you explain is that that's going to enable those lizards to survive. That's going to enable those lizards not to get eaten. And if they're surviving, they are going to reproduce. And if they're reproducing, they're passing their genes onto the next generation. So your last two marks in an extended writing question is going to always come from talking about how the organism survives, reproduces, and passes its gene on to the next generation. And that's what evolution is. That's the theory of natural selection. And it's a theory that is widely accepted now. And it's a theory that Charles Darwin came up with. And he has countless studies. One of his major studies that he looked at was finches, which are a type of bird, in the Galapagos Island. Because all these islands are really close together, he thought maybe the finches will actually all be very, very, very similar. When in reality, all the little islands were basically like little continents. And 
they all had different food sources. So some of the islands had insects, some of the islands had nuts, um, some of the islands had berries and little bushes. And basically what he noticed is that the finches who were surviving and doing very, very well on each individual island had different beaks. And the finches, the, the birds who actually were surviving and doing really, really well, their beaks corresponded to the type of food on the island. So for example, if the island had mostly insects, then the finches who lived and were successful on that island had longer beaks. And then if you had an island that had hard nuts and shells and things like that, seeds that the birds needed to get into, the birds who survived and were really successful on those type of islands had harder, thicker, bigger beaks which um, with kind of little teeth attached to the end so that they could get into their food source. So I cannot go through every single example with evolution, but honestly, it is a very, very, very similar response for every single answer. So let's go through it one more time. You always want to talk about a genetic mutation happens. That genetic mutation causes variation. Then explain what the variation is depending on the example they're asking about and then your last set of marks are always going to be talking about how that variation that trait enables the organism to survive reproduce and pass the genes on to the next generation so that's evolution the next thing we're going to take a look at um, was we're going to take a look at selective breeding and genetic engineering. And we're not going to spend too much time on these, um, but we might come back later this week and go through a few more examples with it. So selective breeding, it really is kind of in the name selective or selecting. You're picking, you're choosing. Um, it's usually when we're talking about selective breeding, we're talking about humans, which are breeding plants or breeding animals together to get desired characteristics or desired traits. So selective breeding, we selectively pick what we want to breed together to get more offspring that have got those characteristics. So if you've got a herd of cows and five of the cows are very clearly have more muscle mass um, they're very clearly more they're healthier they're healthier cows what you would want to do is you'd want to only breed those five cows together to get offspring for your second generation or your first round of kids and then from that, you want to take from that second generation or that round of your first offspring, you'd want to look again at the babies that are there. And as they grow up, which cows have got more muscle, which cows look the healthiest. Um, and there's lots of tests to do this, um, especially with uh, farming and the industry now. But you'd 
just want to continue to breed those cows together so that over time you've got a selectively bred group of cows that overall have more muscle than the rest of your cows that you started out with. You can do this for plants as well. So they do this, you can do this with fruits. So your bigger fruits, you want to make sure that those are the only ones that are getting picked to breed together. Um, they do this with animals to produce milk. Animals that make more milk compared to animals that make less milk, you're only going to let the animals that make more milk breed together. Larger unusual flowers. So if you are a florist and you want to make, you are trying to get the biggest, the brightest, the weirdest looking flowers, you're only going to let them breed together. Um, and it's something that happens over time. It continues for very of many, many generations until the offspring show the desired characteristic, until you just keep shifting more and more and more to the thing that you want. And this is seen all the time. You can now go into the grocery stores and you can see this with all, almost all the fruits and vegetables because it's something that we um, as a society have been doing for quite a long time now over 100 years now we've been doing this so it's even more than that a very very long time we have been selectively breeding food the second um, thing that we can do is genetically engineer genetic engineering is also again kind of in the name genetics so hopefully we can kind of link this with genes dna um, we are going in and we are actually changing the genetics of an organism. We are engineering, we are building, we are building an organism through the genetics and we're changing the genetics of that organism. So basically what genetic engineering is, because I've just waffled on about the actual the words within the title of it but what it genetic engineering actually is is it involves modifying or changing the genome of an organism by introducing a gene from another organism to give a desired characteristic so that's pretty fancy I'll let, let me break it down for you what what it really means is you are changing the genetics of an organism by inserting a gene from another organism. So you can do that, for example, with, um, with plants. So a lot of plants and crops in a lot of countries have been genetically engineered to be resistant to disease. Also, a lot of plants and crops have been genetically engineered to produce bigger fruits. Um, and one of the main, one of the huge um, first wonderful things that we were able to do with genetic engineering is bacteria cells. Um, bacteria cells have actually been used and it's been um, a huge discovery when it first happened and it's been very very helpful um, for humans um, and animals as well um, but we can actually 
make insulin. We can make insulin to treat diabetes. So if someone has got diabetes and they need to get insulin injections, what we've been able to do is we've been able to genetically engineer insulin because bacteria cells, we've been able to put the actual gene to make insulin inside of a bacteria cell, which reproduces extremely, extremely fast, really, really quickly, so that we can mass produce insulin to be able to help out anyone who needs it to treat diabetes. So that is genetic engineering. We also have genetically modified, um, which is very similar. It's just we're modifying it again, genetically modified um, crops. So they could be things that are resistant to insect attacks, resistant to herbicides. Um, genetically modified crops often have got an increased yield, so it makes more of them as well. Um, but there are some some controversies around it because people who have been eating genetically modified foods, there are not a lot of studies for a long enough time periods to actually prove or disprove that there are any adverse side effects. Um, so basically, genetically modified foods, it hasn't been around for very long. And in order to get an actual conclusion is you need to test people who've been eating the genetically modified foods for a number of years. Um, basically, you want to do a study over a 50 to 100 year period. You want to have um, thousands of people that you are studying to see whether or not the genetically modified food is affecting them. Um, so some people are against eating genetically modified foods. However, if you don't know that much about it and you just go to the grocery store and pick up um, without really considering it, um, most people have consumed genetically modified foods because it is literally everywhere. Um, they've put extra vitamins in milk. They've put extra vitamins in rice. It's honestly, it's everywhere. You can't really escape it easily. Um, so only time will tell about those effects. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, um, there are a lot of really good benefits from it. Um, so especially with the introduction of vitamin, vitamins in, in milks and vitamins in rices, because some people are really vitamin deficient and they actually need that. So it's, it's better to have it in the foods than not in the foods. Um, and that's, that's genetic engineering, that's selective breeding, um, and kind of how those tie in with evolution. Now, in terms of evolution, the thing that we're going to talk about next podcast is we'll take a look at fossils, we'll take a look at extinction. And these are all mostly things that you're probably pretty familiar with. They're things that you probably studied um, and have learned about at a young age. So hopefully that will be quite familiar to you. And then the last thing that we're going to take a look at 
is the classification system, basically how we classify organisms. And there are a number of people who have come up with different systems. Carl Linnaeus is one of them. And there's also another Carl, Carl Woos, who has added on to Carl Linnaeus's idea of classification um, and basically grouping up animals, plants, cells, grouping them up based off of their characteristics and based off of whether or not they've got a true nucleus or whether or not they do not have a fully formed heart that has got four chambers. Or, here's another one, what if they've got gills? Okay, so any fish, anything with gills, those would be kind of grouped originally in their own little grouping. Um, and then you can, you can start doing this and start thinking about this for lots of different things. You can think about it, well, how is a spider different from a millipede? Or a centipede or even just a normal earthworm so you just start thinking about well what do those organisms have and how can we group them into specific groups and that's the classification of living organisms um, so similar things are grouped together so you would probably have all of your wild cats so your lions your tigers your leopards all of those are going to be grouped into a uh, same grouping and you also would have your domestic house cats um, pretty close to that group as well because they have got a lot of similarities. So that is everything that we're going to kind of go through today. What I highly suggest you do is you again go back through this section. It's a big section. It's got lots of stuff. We have got reproduction with sexual and asexual reproduction. We've got meiosis and it also gives you the chance to go back through mitosis from biology paper one. You've got DNA in the genome, genetic inheritance, and specifically inherited disorders like polydactyly and cystic fibrosis. Then we've also got sex determination where we've got whether or not it it will be a male, whether or not it will be a female offspring. Then we looked at variation evolution and Charles Darwin and his theory for natural selection. And we finished off today's podcast looking at selective breeding and genetic engineering and a little bit on genetic modification. So that's everything um, that we're going to do today, but please, please, please go back through, look over it again, um, because you should be going back through everything as much as you can to try to get it into your long-term memory. So get out there and get revising. Mm-hmm.